Welcome to the OT lifestyle movement. This is for the occupational therapy visionaries and the ones who see things differently. We're moving our profession forward through living and leading a truly holistic lifestyle. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the OT lifestyle movement podcast. I'm Rhiannon Crisp, occupational therapist, personal trainer, and founder of otlifestylemovement.com. Today, we are talking with Amelia Dewey, an occupational therapist and certified lymphedema specialist. Amelia has been working in the area of outpatient hospital-based clinic for nine and a half years. She works with people who have lymphedema, including clients with cancer-related lymphedema, and helps them to re-engage in meaningful occupations through a range of multiple interventions that include lifestyle changes, and manual therapy techniques. In February this year, Amelia was diagnosed with breast cancer. She's been really open about her health journey on Instagram, and I really wanted to have her on the podcast to share her personal story and her identity shift from therapist to patient and how the diagnosis has changed the way she practices. Welcome, Amelia. Thank you so much for um, sharing your I mean, podcast time with me right now. Really, yeah. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for being here because it is, it's such a personal issue and topic that we're delving into today. So I really respect that and honor you for being here right now and being so open with us. Yes, no, I, I, mean, I hear you. I think health journey is so personal, but I guess in my reflection upon this time, I was if I can help somebody else, if anything that I have learned, be helpful for other people I think it will be worth it for for me to share it Mm, amazing so at the start of every podcast we just hit the rewind button so I'd love it if we go back to the start of your OT mind and, and your journey can you take us back to how you got into OT and how you came to do the work that you're doing today okay how do I come into OT so when I was in uh junior year in college, I believe, I was in a research lab working as a research assistant. And we were doing this project to look at how dunking stroke patients, I mean, patient with strokes, feet in the cold water, it was ice cold water, affect the their P wave. Now, I can't tell you what P wave is now, I have to look it up. But I just remember in that research project, I mean, it was very exciting. But then I realized that doing research, psychological research at that time, um, was not enough for me. I I would like to do something that was more direct. And reflecting back, it kind of makes sense because that was fall of uh, my junior year, so the fall of 2005. And the spring of 2005, my my dad passed away after like five years of dealing with after-stroke complications. So he got really weak and he finally, I think, he, he died in his sleep, which is the best way to die. So I think at that time, I just realized I want to do something more for these patients. So my friend introduced me to occupational therapy, and I went to observe, applied to two schools, and the rest is history. And how I come to Houston was I was actually working for about a year and a half in Dallas as an acute care therapist. It's not really my cup of tea. I know some people love being in acute care therapy world, but that was not for me. So I took a certification course called NeuroEphra down in Houston for two weeks. And that it was hosted by um, this hospital that I 
am currently working at and about to step away from. So when I took the course, I realized, wow, this is like so amazing. And I can use the techniques right away with patient with neurological conditions. So I applied for a job. There was an opening there and they, they accepted me. So that was January, 2011, oh no, 2012. And the rest is history. <laughs> okay. Awesome. All right. Well, let's dive into your personal story. So as I said, in February this year, you were diagnosed with cancer. Can you take us through this diagnosis story and how it unfolded for you? Sure. So it was about November or early December. I was sitting in infrared sauna and I was doing lymphatic drainage on myself. And when I realized that my left breast and my right breast doesn't feel the same, there was a lump on the left breast that I never noticed before. And it definitely felt very different from my right breast. And I do have what they call that more dense breasts. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pay attention to this. Let me watch this. Let me not freak out. I talked to some friends about it and they were like, well, maybe that's just hormones, right? Because during your hormones, hormonal period, like you may get those cysts and those lumps and it's not going to be anything. So I waited, but then, you know, because I have my um, annual physical due anyway in January. So I went to the doctor and I asked the doctor for an ultrasound because I know with a dense breast mammography usually couldn't find anything right away. So I asked for an ultrasound. The doctor said, well, you, you could wait if you want to, but I was like, no, I think I want to know what it is. So um, I went to get an ultrasound, but because of my age and I've never done a mammogram before, they required me to have a mammogram before I have my ultrasound. So my annual exam was in January 8th. It took me a while to get an appointment, get my insurance secure, and find the right uh, location for me to do it. So it wasn't until February 1st when I did my mammogram and ultrasound. Um, when they did my ultrasound, because I was watching when the girl was, when the technician was doing the ultrasound, and I saw three dots, I mean, three balls. And I look at enough ultrasound during tumor boards in my hospital where I know that that doesn't look normal. <laughs> so the the physician, the radio radiologist pulled me aside after and she said she highly recommend biopsy because, you know, it looks suspicious. The right breast also have some things in it, but it doesn't look suspicious. So she was like, most likely it's just going to be your left breast. So I had a biopsy four days later and then they gave me the diagnosis. So that was the beginning of my journey. So and then the following week, I went to um, an oncologist who is also a colleague for me at work because I work with a lot of patients with cancer. And she sat me down and she gave me the news that I wish, she, she told me, I wish I don't have to tell you this. I thought it's just going to be a quick thing and you can be out of here with your surgery. But because I guess the mass that they found is considered to be a triple positive. So it means it's hormone positive estrogen and progesterone positive, and also HER2 positive. So triple positive cancer is a more aggressive type of cancer. The most aggressive is triple negative. So triple positive is coming second to triple negative. So my doc, the oncologist was suggesting a path of doing chemotherapy first and then surgery. And then depending on the results of the surgery and the path pathology after that, she recommend maybe radiation and then hormone therapy for five years. So I just remember it was a Thursday afternoon. I came back to work and 
um, I asked manage, my manager if I can go home just because it was a lot to process. And I just, you know, I just kind of, I think I, I cried that whole afternoon because I was like, seeing the patients that I've seen, I knew exactly what that pathway looks like because they make it seem like it's going to be so simple, right? It's going to be two years and you're fine after that. You can have a reconstruction surgery and life is good. But I know from my cases, like just treating patients and talking to my patients that it is not that simple. I mean, there are so many complications that can arise out of surgery, out of reconstruction, um, even lymphedema, right? As a result of those surgeries. So don't mean to talk, just keep talking, but it's kind of, so I was just like, okay, I'll just have a mastectomy and double mastectomy if I have to and, and be done with it and I'll be, I'll be happy. But then, you know, like this is just kind of my personal journey to um, my whole family just kind of pray together. And my sister said, you know, like what she received when she's praying is that no surgery. And I was like, oh crap, that's the only thing that I'm willing to do when it comes to traditional treatment. And that option is like taken away from me. I mean, I could probably do it, but I really honor my sister. And, you know, I think she doesn't just say it to say it. So I was like, okay, let me think about it. So little did I know that Monday, um, Houston and the rest of Texas hit what we call the snowpocalypse. I don't know if you've heard about it, but basically the whole entire state was without power for about four days. So not only we have no power and it was freezing, it was like maybe 20 Fahrenheit, maybe 30, 20 to 30 Fahrenheit, but no power in the city. It's icing everywhere. There's, we don't have clean water. Some areas of Houston don't have clean water. <laughs> so I was stuck at home with nothing to do and the clinic cannot even open, you know? So for a week we were shut down in our houses. So I, I spent some time just like really reflecting in the sauna and really diving in into the different experiences of people with cancer that I haven't dived in before because before I was a therapist, I was not a patient, but this time it's my own journey fighting for my life, right? So my friend gave me some resources and I started looking and I read this book called, there's two people that really helped me in that journey in that week. First, um, it's a guy named Chris Wark and he developed and found um, this website and resource area called Square One Program. And he, was a can he is a cancer survivor. He was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer at a young age of 27. He had surgery, but he declined everything else and he changed his lifestyle and now about 14, 15 years later, he's still cancer-free as far as you know, and living a really healthy lifestyle. So he basically dive in and share everything that he does in his modules. So that really changed my perspective about, okay, there is a different way to manage cancer from a lifestyle perspective. And the second resource that I found was a book called Radical Remission, and it's stories of people who... I guess the medical treatment can't help their cancer anymore. So they find other healing journeys. And I think I shared one of my posts about the different principles that they found. So it's like they found it through um, lifestyle changes, food changes, laughter, managing their emotions, dealing with their bitterness and you know negative emotions and things like that. And a lot of the people who were interviewed in this book, they said, if they know this other way from the beginning, they would not have done the traditional route, mm. which, you know, I think, again, 
health journey, like we talk about, is something that is very personal. But it kind of like stuck with me. I was like, if there is a different way, wouldn't I want to try that first before going into something that I know will have, will mark me for life, right? I mean, chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery will make an impact in your life, pretty much lifelong, whether or not you recognize it. Once you have a cut in your body, once you have radiation in your body, once you have chemotherapy, your body will not be the same anymore. So wouldn't I want to exhaust everything else before? So that's like the big thing that leads me to this journey. Yes. Oh my gosh. So many things to unpack here. And I suppose I just want to start with, so obviously the diagnosis landed with you very differently because of your knowledge in your professional space. Like you have been working with clients with cancer and with lymphedema because of their cancer. Um, And so you already had all this stuff that would have been circulating in your mind when you were given that diagnosis based on based on your career um so I'm sure that has shaped your perception and the journey so far and then also I wanted to sort of start diving into um your healing journey because is is the chemotherapy and the radiation and the surgery, like the traditional methods, is that all you knew prior to doing your own personal journey, prior to your diagnosis? Or were you aware of the kinds of impacts that lifestyle changes could really have on a person with cancer? And were you already using them in your, your treatment sessions with clients? So for the second question, in terms of other alternative cancer management, I would say not really. The only thing that us as rehab professional is really, I guess has been really um, pound into our brain is that exercise does help with cancer recurrence risk and also with managing your cancer um, side effects, cancer treatment side effects, right? So we know that exercise helps. We know that stress doesn't help. I just don't know to how much, I didn't realize what degree that stress, either that from emotional stress or physical stress from toxins in our surroundings and toxins from the food that we eat and toxins from technologies, right? Including our cell phones can really impact our body. So that part, I have no clue about. I've heard of people using alternative methods such as meditation and acupuncture, but they're all kind of geared toward managing the side effects from cancer treatment, such as chemo-induced neuropathy um, and different things like that. And, you know, like pain from the cancer itself or pain from the surgeries, right? I mean, people use traditional, I mean, not traditional, non-traditional method to manage that. But I never really, because all I know is patients that was patients who were referred to us from their oncologists or radiation oncologists. So I hardly ever seen patients who are doing, choosing a natural method to manage their cancer. And the only people that I that I have come across are the people that is struggling. I will never forget, there's a lady who came in for treatment for her lymphedema and she's, I think she has stage three or stage four cancer. And her condition is just, is quite, quite bad and she was trying to do all things holistically and that is an image that I had in mind when somebody trying to do holistic treatment for cancer it's just in my head I was like well it didn't work but kind of what you said when I discovered 
there are so many other people who are doing the same thing, who are searching for the same thing. And like I was feeling empowered that, hey, maybe there's an option here that I can try. And I guess also, right, maybe about two years before all the, before I get diagnosed, I also start looking into holistic treatment for just changing my lifestyle, right? Biohacking and different things like that. So I was like, I started going to functional medicine doctor even before I was diagnosed because I started realizing that there is something that's not right with my health, even though my blood work is good. So there's something beyond what we can see from traditional medicine standpoint that still doesn't make me a healthy person. So I guess in, in this journey, in the beginning, I was like, do I believe in that enough to actually go through with this? Because as you know, with cancer, whether you go traditional route or natural route, there's always risk that the treatment doesn't work, right? Not one size fits all. I mean, they told me that my, recurrent, my risk for survival is pretty high because I'm still young and they found it pretty early. But then I also realized that the risk of recurrence is quite high. So, yeah. Mm. And so, so what stage cancer were you diagnosed with? So initially it was a stage one cancer because the three lumps are all under two centimeter. But when they did my MRI, they are, they are showing some other activities in the rest of the breast. So I'm not really sure if I'm still a stage one mm-hmm. <laughs> because um, if I were, I didn't go back to my oncologist or the breast surgeon after that. Mm-hmm. I just felt so deflated. And they actually want, um, when I follow up with the surgeon after the MRI, she wanted me to go get another biopsy so she knows exactly what she's dealing with. And that was around the same time that I start reading into all of this more natural literature, literature and how many people are saying that, okay, I'm going to preface it by saying this might be a controversial topic, but a lot of people are from the alternative side believe that biopsy can actually cause the cancer to grow for different reasons. So I just have a check, I guess, in my gut to not continue with that path of doing more biopsies because at that point, that encounter with the surgeon was one of the most, the hardest encounter that I ever had in my life with a healthcare professional. I mean, she means well, and we we know each other because she also referred patients to me. But what she said was, you are still young, do not play with your life. And then she starts showing me these pictures of this woman who has Who's like me? I think she chose Asian female who's my size for that reason and how great, I guess, their body look after surgeries. But she also didn't realize that I saw her patients who have all the issues, right? So I know that it's possible, but at the same time, the other side is also so true. So after that meeting, I just felt so deflated where, you know, because basically she was giving me a death sentence, right? If I were not to do what she was recommending me to do, Number one, she's not willing to work with me because she's like, it's my license, which I appreciate and I respect that. You know, you have to do what's comfortable for you in your license practice. But at the same time, as a patient, I felt like I was just given a death sentence and it took lots of meditation and prayer to lift that off of me. So actually, I can actually have a clearer mind to move forward. So that's when I realized the power of words that we give to our patients. It's so powerful. You can either crush someone or lift them up. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's really, that would be really hard to take in that moment when you are already in this really vulnerable space, right? 
you've received this diagnosis and you are in the hands of professionals um, and, and you, you buy into their words. You really buy into what they, they tell us because they're wearing the expert hat and, and here you are as the patient. And so, you know, I suppose like looking at this from, like you said, when we're working with our clients, being really mindful that what we say can make a huge impact on their decision, on how they move forward with their life. Um, so having that background knowledge that you have really, really took you on a different journey and you were strong enough to stand up for that and continue on your path. Yes. Now I have two thoughts to add to that because one is, um, where is that? Sorry. I'm going to say, okay, I, I actually draw that strength from one of my patients who told me that she has such a complicated condition where she and her family have to go from doctor to doctor, second consult to, and they fire their doctors because she's like, I want people in my team who actually will, I guess, collaborate together to, to, to you know, take her because she's, she has a very complicated case and she has to be strong and her family have to be strong to do it. But she has found a great team where she's actually moving forward. So that's one of the big realizations that I felt after I get those feelings lifted off of me is that I deserve to have a team of healthcare professional who will support me and who will speak life into me and not speak death. And number two, I was going to add is you know, I understand where she's coming from as a doctor because she truly believed that that is the only option. So I do respect that. And I have, I actually have done the same thing to my patient. You know, like when I'm talking to somebody who is doing prehabilitation for lymphedema, it's almost like I know what the chemotherapy can do to their body, right? And I know what the risk of lymphedema they might have, but the people receiving it, even though my intention was good to prepare them, it may feel like a death sentence. So I think, you know, just having that receiving end, it just gave me a lot more compassion for the patient. A hundred percent. Language matters too. Mm. So let's dive into your healing journey so far then. So you, you started taking the natural approach. What does this look like? What does this look like? How has your lifestyle changed? Oh, Yes. So I started by, at first, I was following um, Chris Wark's plan on square one. So he recommends a lot of raw vegetarian diet, vegan diet, actually, no dairy and um, a ton of supplements. So I takes kind of half of it, maybe. And I cut out meat from my life, no dairy, no sugar, you know, because I know those things are not good for me. I remember after getting diagnosed, I went to Chick-fil-A. I don't, you probably don't have that in Australia. It's like a local fast food chain here that is amazing. <laughs> And they have, I love their Oreo milkshake. So I get one Oreo milkshake and I just drink it. And it's like, as I was crying and I was like, okay, this is my goodbye to sugar. And this is my, you know, like saying, okay, I'm, I'm ready to do this. You know, I think my brain just kind of switch and I was like, it's either chemotherapy, radiation surgery or this. And this is what I picked. So that was the beginning. And then I found, um, but I realized, I guess I don't want to, there are so many resources out there when it comes to healing from cancer naturally. And it is hard to know like what is good for my body, what, what's going to work and what's not going to work. How does it all put together, right? 
So I, I realized I need a doctor or a coach who can walk me through it. So through random things, I found this doctor in Costa Rica from Facebook group. My friend found it for me. And um, I taught, I, I have, before that, I have looked at so many different alternatives. But every single time I almost commit, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go. There's something that happens or I read that kind of, put, again, put the same kind of check in my gut that I was like, no, that's not the right way to go. So there's already like three other places that I'll almost go to. And then I found this doctor in Costa Rica. And when I talked to him, it makes sense. I mean, the principle of the, this his program actually combines all of the programs that I was looking into. So number one, he used um, hyperbaric chamber because oxygenated body helps with um, destroying cancer cells. While you know, poorly oxygenated body help cancer cell to grow. So oxygen, uh, hyperbaric chamber was one of the program that we do there. And then the second thing is using uh, digestive enzymes and pancreatic enzyme to really support the digestion of food. Because there's actually, um, there's a doctor named, I think it's Dr. Kelly who discovered this, but he saw that, you know, rapidly growing cell, just like cancer cell also happens in a baby. And it stops happening when the baby starts, I guess, developing or releasing this pancreatic enzymes and their body starts digesting a little bit better. So that was one of the principles that he used. And then the third thing is parasites. So in the cancer, like in my research previously, a lot of people suggest using a dog dewormer. I think it's called, I forget what's the actual name to it, but I can look it up uh, to help with cancer. And I was like, oh, that is interesting. But then this doctor in Costa Rica, Dr. Gary, he explained to me that the reason behind that is the parasites, because there's a researcher named Dr. Huda Clark, and she does a lot of research with patients with cancer. And what she found in the 500 cancer patients that she studied, and I think there's more to it, is that they all have parasites and um, traces of, you won't believe this, it's isopropyl alcohol. I mean, we have isopropyl alcohol everywhere. So parasite cleanse is a big program that I, I'm doing, uh, I did in Costa Rica and I'm still doing now. So Dr. Huda Clark research was considered to be very controversial as you know, and probably, and she actually was sued different, different times, but she was able to win every single one of them because she actually, I mean, her research is legit. So, and then combining supplements that helps with cancer cells, changing my food, pairing, and then the way I eat, juicing, and then, you know, like we talked earlier, coffee enema, because it's a liver cleanse, right? And with coffee enema, so drinking a lot of coffee, I was actually reading this this morning, it's interesting. If you drink seven cups or more coffee a day, it actually can lead you to having, it can increase your risk for dementia. I didn't know that, that's interesting. But yes, I was always thinking like, I love coffee and I love to drink coffee, but coffee can actually like stifle your liver working. But coffee enema with the caffeine from the coffee actually goes through your um, liver and then it will stimulate your liver to produce glutathione, which is one of the most powerful antioxidant in your body that is natural. So that's another thing that he uses in his protocol. And then finally, just you know managing your sleep. So he used magnets to help with sleep. So I have a magnet, ma magnetic eye mask. I have a magnetic headboard and have a magnetic um, plate that I put around my breast and wrap it around. 
So I've never heard of that. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, how does that work? So I'm probably not a good person to describe this because I was learning so much in a short period of time. But magnets, the idea is that just that you know because you've heard of um, pulse magnetic PEMF pulse electromagnetic um, field. Have you heard of that? It's like a bio, it's kind of like supposed to help like your cells heal and different things. So this is the actual magnet, it's not the electric version. So with the magnet, with the, the idea for um, the head, the eye mask, and then also the, the headboard is to stimulate the pineal gland and then to stimulate my retina to kind of help me with sleep. Mm. So that's the idea of it in a nutshell. And with um, the one that I'm putting on my breast, actually, you have to put the negative side, not the positive side. Yes, negative, no. The north side is the negative side, yes. You cannot flip it because it can cause the other effect. But when we put the negative of the north side, it can actually help with um, cancer cell apoptosis. Yeah, wow. It, it must have been such a deep dive into all of this in such a short amount of time, like learning about how you can heal your body and what you can do to optimize your lifestyle so you're really always taking that step towards health and I could so resonate with when you said you know you were having your last smoothie or thick shake or whatever it was you know just that last bit of sugar because I can imagine for so many of us who live in the western world who are totally on just a convenience diet where we have everything at our fingertips and we can have sugar whenever we need it. And we're, we're eating, we're consuming so much processed packaged food because life is busy and it's easier this way than spending 20 minutes in the morning, making a juice, making a fresh juice for yourself. Um, how, how did you go? Like, what was that journey like? Because the mindset would have been, so such a big player here, you know, just this switch. How did you flick that switch? Was it, it, it doesn't sound like a gradual transition. It sounded like once, once you decided that was it. Have, have you had moments where you've felt weak and, and you've not been able to stick to your protocol that you're doing or is your mindset so much focused on your health and well-being that you, you haven't taken that backward step yet? Um, so a couple things on that. So, you know, that I guess I have been, like I said, I've been researching about functional medicine and biohacking for the last couple of years. So there's that desire in me already to change my lifestyle, but I just didn't have the strength for it because I love food. I'm a foodie and I'm Asian. I mean, I like pork. I like dumplings. I like all things that are yummy, right? I mean, that was just my passion when I was, before I get diagnosed, it's just like go explore and eat an amazing meal. I mean, one of my favorite meals, I also say goodbye to hamburger after I decided that I'm going to, you know, like just go more vegetarian based or vegan based. Um, so, you know, I think that really helps because I know that what I was doing was not working. And then if I want to do this, then I have to switch. So the second part with that question, have I kind of like go back to the way I was? And the answer is, um, no, there, there, there are some food that my doctor do not recommend. For example, tofu. I mean, soybean is a questionable thing, as you know, um, because there's GMO, there's 
soy for estrogen and hormone dominant like cancer is not really good thing there's like like different people saying different things about it so i decided okay i'm just gonna avoid it but i went to a restaurant recently and i ate some edamame you know but you know like it's not like i have gone fully like going back to eat burger and fries right but or, or like a fully sugar milkshake so i make smoothies i eat fruits as my natural sugar I like my doctor allows me like the one in Costa Rica, he allows me to eat plantains and he allows me to eat occasional dessert, but I make it myself. So I either use maple syrup or monk fruit sweetener or um, agave. So it's like, as long as I make it myself and all the ingredients are natural, he's okay with it. And occasional things, right? I don't make blueberry cheesecake vegan every other week. It's just like once a month, you know, I make something sweet. And I, like today for a snack, I had some almond butter and a little bit, just a tiny drizzle of honey. So that was satisfying to me. And the funny thing is, now that I've been eating this way for the last, I guess since March, right? Yeah, five months? No, four months, March, April, May, June, July. Can I think? Five months. Um, recently, I went to eat in a Vietnamese restaurant and I ate just a simple meal. Like it wasn't even bad or anything. I was follow, following the, the protocol. But then I think because something in a sauce, I felt really gross after and I don't want to go back. <laughs> yeah. Very tasty. You start to notice things even in water, like water is such a big part of our health, like how much we're consuming and the quality of water that we're consuming. You know, when I lived out in Catherine, which is in the desert, in the Australian desert, um, where we lived, our water was actually contaminated and we didn't know and I was drinking it feeding it to my girls for about six months and then we realized well the community realized that years ago um, it was contaminated with firefighting foam it was PFAS which is a chemical in firefighting foam and um, it's obviously very very toxic and it's toxic to the environment as well but we were consuming this in our body and with tap water you know you don't even know what you're getting you don't know what chemicals have found their way to the tap water yes. in that case and then you don't know what chemicals have been added to it deliberately like chlorine and fluoride and fluoride yes and those chemicals that do not work in alliance with our body and our brain function and you know these are the things that we need to start being mindful of and start questioning and like your journey it's like you really need to optimize and look at every single occupation that you do in your day and start to think, what can I do? Like, how can I improve this in some way? And the thing here is you don't know what you don't know. Like I obviously yeah. didn't know this. Um, and so we went to drinking um, other, you know, we had to start buying water because it was, it was just a horrible situation that we're in, but now we have tank water. So we get beautiful, fresh rainwater uh, that we're drinking. So there's nothing, there's no chemicals added to it and there's no chance of um, it being contaminated with any other chemicals in the environment. Um, but there's just so many things to look at, isn't there? Because obviously you're doing a lot of work on your emotions. You're looking at food. You're looking at enemas. You're looking at all these other natural ways to support the body to good health yeah no I agree with you like with the water is a huge thing I mean, 
one of the things that the doctor gave me was actually a water filter, but I already have one myself. And when you buy a water filter, you need to make sure that it does have that fluoride because fluoride is being added to, well, since I'm in America, American drinking water on a regular basis. And they said that, oh, it's safe, but is it really safe? You know, because I mean, we know now that fluoride is not really safe. And even the toothpaste that we're using all have fluoride, right? So now I'm switching to more natural toothpaste. I'm actually using a tooth powder that I found from one of the biohackers and it's, it's amazing. And then you have to consider, okay, what else am I using? It's like, I have this on my floor right now, like perfume that I can't use anymore because it has alcohol and um, fragrance. Yeah, the fragrance. I mean, that's the thing. Every, like it's every little occupation, every little daily activity. And I started looking into this years ago now um, and switched to things like essential oils and just bicarbon vinegar for cleaning. You know, if we look at, right that what we wash our clothes in like all the scented things mm-hmm. that have a lot of um a lot of chemicals in them uh, our dishwashing liquid our detergents our our shampoo and conditioner like you said our toothpaste all these products contain chemicals and we're lathering right. our body in chemicals and our skin absorbs it our skin absorbs these chemicals that go straight to our bloodstream and, you know, sometimes I think we kind of wonder why we've got all these chronic conditions and conditions that, um, you know, can be supported if we, if we look after our environment around us. We can, we can take that step towards health. Yeah, I know. I mean, you mentioned it all. I mean, not including our makeup, right, our skincare. And like you said it beautifully, like our skin absorbs everything. It's like the largest, we think it's like the things that we eat, but no, it's the skin because the skin is our largest body part that is exposed to the rest of the world. So yeah, so now I'm cleaning my toilet with baking powder, actually worked great, mixed with essential oil, right? I mean, yeah. and vinegar is amazing. And I bought this product called Force of Nature that helps with, it basically like, it's a chem- they send you the machine to kind of mix everything in and they send you a mix of, vinegar and salt and then all you have to do mix it with water and then you pour things together and then turn on the machine and then it becomes a solution that can help clean and disinfect mm. so, did you know yeah. there was yeah a study done by the environmental working group in 2004 and it showed that over 200 i think it was 287 babies um sorry 287 chemicals found in the umbilical cord of babies so before babies are even being born they are pre-polluted with chemicals that have found their way into their system through obviously our lifestyle and and you know I'm not trying to say that I'm not trying to make this really heavy and point fingers at people's lifestyle it is the modern world that we live in we cannot escape a lot of Mm -hmm. the chemicals that Uh, around us in our daily life if we look at the emf that we're exposed to if we look at the pollution from cars and the the cities that we live in a lot of these things can be unavoidable but there is so much that we can do that is within our control that we can feel empowered like you are like taking this step towards your health and i think what you're doing is amazing and i'm just so fired up that you know you're just taking this personal journey and really, really 
finding what works for you and where you are at in your life right now to be strong enough to to go through with these natural approaches because I know so many other so many other people um, don't have that sense of strength to follow through and to believe because it's faith right I, I feel like a lot of it comes back to faith like that this is possible and this will work for me yeah I think you really nail it on the head with that one I think it is definitely a journey of faith, whatever faith looks like for anyone, right? But I have to believe that this can work. And I have to believe that if I keep going, then, you know, um, something's good going to come out of this. And I don't know if it's going to look like this forever, right? And I can't say what it's going to look like five years from now. But at the same time, I know that this is the path that I need to take on right now. And I am fully committed. And like you said, just we... I love how you say that the modern world that we live in made us unable to escape some of these pollutants, right? I mean, I love that you're wearing a wired headset right now because I actually just sold my AirPods that my mom gave me for my birthday because it's Bluetooth and it's EMF. So I don't really need, I mean, I already have my phone with me most of the time, so I don't really need to expose to more EMF. Now when I'm at home and I have Wi-Fi, I turn off my phone, um, LTE ability, I even turn off the 5G ability because I don't really want more EMF near me all the time. I turn it on airplane mode when I need to put on my pocket. I mean, I, I become like slightly a freak, I guess, in some ways. But I just realized that, hey, there are some things I cannot control, like you said. I can't control about all the towers outside and all the pollution that's happening and the things that people are selling. But I can control what I'm using, what I'm purchasing, and how my lifestyle looks, right? Because like I think you mentioned it earlier that Oh, we were talking on a, our, our pre-chat about how you want a life that can sustain your lifestyle rather than the other way around or something like that. And that is so true because right now, like my life cannot be convenient anymore. Like we talk about coffee enema, but coffee enema requires about an hour of my day every single day because you have to make the coffee, you have to cool it, and then you have to put it in. I do pre-enema to kind of empty out because for coffee enema, you have to put it, you have to wait like one liter of solution in your cold, in your stomach for about 15 minutes. And then you don't know what's going to happen that day. You might have more bowel stuff coming out of you that day. So I have to like allow like an hour for my self-care in the morning, plus another 15 minutes to get ready for work. So it, it used to be how I used to live is that my self-care is less my work and my career and everything else, social life is first. So I just do quick things in the morning. I don't spend time to like really meditate or take care of myself. The only thing I do regularly was exercise. But food is like, oh, I'll just eat microwavable food, right? It's easy, it's convenient, and they call it healthy. So why not? <laughs> and then, you know, you just eat whatever available and then you get tired, then you repeat it the same thing again. And I did that for about probably most of my life like at least most of my adult life mm. so now my life can no longer be about convenience it's all about how I can make this healthier how can I really support my body so it's a very different um, what they call that priorities yes okay so let's say to the occupational therapist out there who's listening into this right now who is burnt out and stressed out in their career and they're not prioritizing their self-care I think 
so often, you know, we harp on about self-care in our work, but we're not really taking a dose of our own OT medicine and really looking after ourselves. You know, how do we do this before we get to the point of disease or impairment or burnout? Like what can we be doing now? And what would you say to those OTs? That's a really tough question because we, I mean, earlier I was just processing with another friend about how much our work is filled with burned, the feeling like you are burned out and the feeling of stress. And I, you know, this is one of the reasons why I have to leave my current work is because in the last five years, I noticed the increasing stress level because I've been there for nine years and a half. So I know some things will not change. And something will change, probably maybe for the worse or maybe for the better. So when I come to work sometimes and I see my schedule and I see the amount of work that I have to do, it makes me feel really hopeless because I know that oh, this is just going to keep going over and over again. So I think I would say if you are burned out and you're very stressed at work, and I understand that right now finding a new work is really hard to do. If that's your dream, though, you have to start imagining. I, I, I don't realize what's, you know, like people talk about it all the time, the power of your mind and the power of programming your mind to really believe what you want to have for your life. And I thought it's just like a one thing, a one and done deal, right? I mean, you know, you believe in prayer and then you say the prayer once and it works. But I think what I realized is that our mind needs repetition to create that pathway. And there's so, so many stories after stories about people programming their brain and they actually receive what they program so I think if that's you and you're burned out and you want a different lifestyle then start imagining it and start taking some time to just even program that in your brain because I know not everybody can just pivot right away and if pivoting is your end goal then you need to start looking at the other option how else can I pivot like what would be my dream job and how can I get there because I'm about to pivot you know ending a nine years and a half career actually I'm doing a clinical sales but, you know, I start thinking about this probably or dreaming about it maybe like six months ago. And I was like, what, what, would, what it would look like for me? I lied. Starting around COVID because I realized I was like, a lot of people can work from home, but occupational therapists who work in an outpatient setting, we cannot work from home. Throughout COVID, I was working. And even if I'm, and I was like, if I'm sick, I can't really do this. How am I going to make a living? So I started dreaming about working remotely. So I started thinking about it praying about it, imagining what, what life would look like when I actually able to have that options. And I'm not there yet, but I'm slowly getting there. So that's one. Number two, for self-care, pick one. Pick one thing that you're going to prioritize today. I mean, I know that everyone has a different situation. You know, I, I'm a single woman with no kids, no husband. So I really have no other responsibilities other than myself. I don't even have pets. So, you know, like, you may say that I can't just switch my lifestyle. I have so many mouth to feed. I have a friend who is going through a breast cancer journey too. And she's like sharing that with me, like her husband and her kids cannot eat what she wants to eat. So it's just really challenging at home. It doesn't have to be like that. You know, you can pick one thing, maybe change, maybe make some time for, for 10 minutes in a car before you go into work just to meditate. So you can get ready for the day. Maybe take time during lunch to, to take that five minutes to maybe just rest, do some breathing exercise. Wim Hof have amazing breathing exercise that can help you oxygenate and get your, uh, what they call that, the parasympathetic reflexes just kind of kicks in so your body can rest. Those are like the simple things that you can do. 
I was just going to say Wim Hof. Oh, my gosh. I have been immersing myself in the ocean. You know, it's winter here in Australia and I don't even know how cold it is in the water, but it's freezing. And I've just been immersing myself, not for long, but enough to feel the benefits. I get anxiety sometimes because of my my pressure on myself to get things done and to always be in go mode. So I'm, I'm constantly aware and working on that. But I feel like immersing myself in the ocean has such big effects on reducing my stress level and just that sense of calm. Like I feel refreshed and reset. It's, it's incredible. Do you do any ice baths or anything like that? Not there yet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm supposed, I forgot about this for the last couple of weeks, which I need to start again. So, but I'm supposed to take a cold. So it's a hot, cold, hot shower. So at the end of my shower, I'm supposed to add like about 15, 20 seconds of this cold shower to kind of like get my, I guess, to get my nervous system going and then back the hot shower. So that's the, the extent of ice bath that I get. Yes, yes. No, I've heard a lot about that. I haven't done it myself. I am a creature of comfort. I can, for some reason, dip in the ocean, but I can't actually turn off that hot tap yet. But I do know a lot of people who just turn it off and finish with that cold. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and finish with that cold shower. Yeah, gosh, there's so many things that we can dive into here. And I'd love, you know, I'd love to explore a few more things. Um, can I just quickly go into back into diet? Like what, what does your diet look like now? Like I know you said you're eating vegan, you've removed all dairy and meat. What are you eating? You know, for those who are at home who want to create a lifestyle change and be proactive about their health and, you know, maybe this is something that they're looking into, what, what I, what's your diet consist of? So um, my doctor in Costa Rica, kind of put a couple of things back to my diet so I can eat salmon and only it's pretty particular so only Norwegian wild caught salmon because there are some talks about Pacific Oceans and different things um, so I also ate, ate organic chicken and maybe some organic turkey when I can find them from farmer's market and then also farm fresh eggs so those are the things that I add back to my diet that are different from before Technically, I'm supposed to eat more raw food, but I am Asian again. I love hot food. So that's been the most challenge. So my big raw food is the salads and smoothies. So I either consume like a salad or a smoothie every single day. But, you know, the big thing that he taught us, uh, taught me is food pairing. So this is something that you guys should do your own research because I haven't. I just like, you know what? He said, he, I paid him to tell me what to do. So I'm just going to follow it, right? Um, so he was saying that, you know, the way we eat meat and simple carbs is actually not really good for digestion because when you eat meat or carbs separately, simple carbs separately, it will digest within three to four hours. But when you pair them together, it will take longer to digest. So it's not as good for our stomach. So when I eat chicken, for example, I will not be able to eat that with rice, but I can eat chicken with sweet potato because it's complex carbs. So, you know, like I kind of make those choices and then so I eat eggs sometimes, I eat smoothies, I eat roasted vegetable salad. I make my own fake cheese recently, not fake, but you know, vegan cheese with cashews and water, apple cider vinegar, 
tapioca starch. It kind of give me that little bit satisfaction of eating cheese because sometimes I miss it. I love melted cheese. <laughs> oh, you have to get really creative in the kitchen, don't you? <laughs> yeah, so I tried different recipes and I just found a new um, tortilla that is made out of cassava flour. It's siete tortilla. You can buy it here, but I was going to like, maybe I should try making it myself one day because my daughter is really big about not only the food that I eat, but also how you prepare the food. Yes. Because when you do it yourself, you can control what you're putting in it. Yes, a hundred percent. And we could go into a whole topic on reading food labels and the marketing yes. claims that food has, you know, it's just, it's crazy. We don't even know what we're eating these days. And the food is filled with so many chemicals and they're, they're highly processed. So it might be marketed as a health food, but you turn over, you know, for example, like a muesli bar or a wrap and you turn over and it's just filled with these numbers and we don't even know what we're consuming and putting in our body so it's just going back to those whole real foods mm. what mother nature intended us to eat that work in alliance with our body right I mean I try to you know eat mostly that like mostly whole food but I have my I guess my vices right I find this almond crackers at Costco recently and it's amazing and they only have nine ingredients and they're all real ingredients that I can pronounce and I yes. know what they are Yes. So I'm really excited about that. And then I find a popcorn recently that is non-GMO corn, coconut oil, and salt. And I was like, yes, snacks that I can eat. So sometimes, you know, you have that munchies feelings. Yes. Yeah. So and then when I crave sweets, I eat fruits or I eat one, just one date. Yeah. On, and that will satisfy my craving. And I was like, I'm good. I don't need any more. Yeah. And do you feel like that's changed because of the diet you've been on for the last five months? Yes. I don't crave... I used to crave ice cream. I used to crave fried chicken. You know, I love fried chicken, <laughs> but I cannot eat fried chicken anymore um, because you can't, you know, it's obviously like the, the fried food is something that my doctor is against, deeply fried food. And then also like you can't control what you put in it. So, but yeah, I don't really have those cravings anymore. I'm, mm. I think I am teaching my body to eat, to live rather than to live, to eat. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not being controlled by the food, controlling the food. Mm. Okay, before we head to the rapid fire questions, I'd love to just find out how your knowledge and your own personal journey has changed the way that you work with your clients, if it has. What, what changes have you made with your interactions with clients now? Um, it's actually a really interesting question, and I think it's, hard to answer right now because I still see a patient with cancer and it's a little bit harder for me to work with them because emotionally it just feels a little bit more raw still and I just didn't realize how much it affects me inside you know because like I see the challenges that they go through I see the pain that they're going through because of surgery and chemo and radiation and it's it's really hard because you know, like I, I share some of my, some of my journey with some patients that I feel comfortable sharing. And, but most people, most of my patients don't know what's going on with me. So it's just hard because, you know, when you're an occupational therapist, my commitment is when you come to a session to see me, it's all about you not me. Right. And it's hard because I'm watching their journey and I can't share fully what I'm going through because I was like, but well, what if this can help them? But I know that my scope of practice where I'm at will not allow me to do it 
but that's one side of the picture. But the other side of the picture, I just have so much more compassion for patients just because, you know, the amount of lifestyle changes and the amount of appointments that your patients have to go through, it's crazy, right? They have this doctor's appointment, that doctor's appointment. And then I think sometimes like with PTOT and speech therapists, like rehab professionals, we are quick to judge our patients to be something lazy or not committing or different things, but we didn't realize the challenge that they have at home, all the challenges, all the emotional trauma from just being diagnosed with something, or if they have stroke and, you know, or spinal cord injury, that is another huge trauma in their life and big change that's really hard to deal with. So I think just, it, it makes me way more sensitive about that. And I'm also more sensitive about the way other people treat their patients because I'm like, you don't know what costs, what this person, what has this, what has this person go through to, to come and walk through this door. So we need to make sure like even more that we are treating them the best way possible. So. And are you using any of the lifestyle interventions that you use yourself with your clients through an occupational lens? If they are open to it, like some patients, I talk to them about the food changes because, you know, some of them are pretty, I guess, common knowledge, right? The no sugar, the, you know, changing, like maybe no meat, no dairy, you know, different things. I'll tell them about it, if, especially if they're talking about the food that they're eating. But I think just, and maybe it's just me because it's within our scope of practice, but I was like, I don't want really to, what do you call it? delve into it as much if I don't have to like unless I'm talking to them about their why their swelling is going up and down then we talk about food stuff but it's not my main intervention I think someday I would like it to be my main intervention which is the lifestyle changes mm, mm. it's still a dream it's still a dream but it's yeah get up there. yeah absolutely and it's something that we can definitely be doing because I really feel that we have so much to offer in this space we, we can be sharing so much more. And that's why Emmy and I created the OT Wellbeing Summit, where we spoke to other occupational therapists around the world who are incorporating holistic, complementary approaches into their work, such as, um, yeah, nutrition and breath work and acupressure and yoga and meditation and mindfulness and intuition I mean there's so many different areas that we can be looking into to provide a really holistic intervention and approach for our clients so yeah no it's definitely something that can be in the pipeline for you for sure yeah I mean I do talk to them about breath work just because diaphragmatic breathing to some degree I mean it helps with lymphatic flow I mean it is really true. I mean, I talk about this because I'm so excited. I saw it on imaging. My friend got imaged and she started doing diaphragmatic breathing and her lymphatic flow just started moving like crazy. It was amazing. So, and I also talk about stress management just because I think it's a huge thing that people don't talk about. I often talk to my patient with cancer about how being diagnosed with cancer is trauma, right? And they do need to allow themselves to grieve and process through that. I guess I use that, <laughs> but- while I'm doing that and talking to them, I also do manual therapy. I do my um, John Barnes myofascial release, a little bit of craniosacral, uh, lymphatic drainage. So, you know, and then we start talking through those things as I'm doing things on them. So on paper, it looks like physical 
rehabilitation approach, but it's just so much more. Absolutely. It's so combined and it's so complex. Awesome. So now that you've been in the position of patient, is there any advice that you would give OTs who are working with clients who have recently diagnosed with some sort of injury or illness? I think a big question, the big thing is just to be protective of their, the fragility of their emotion. And I think, you know, I think by sharing, you don't have to overshare, obviously, but I think just sharing a little bit of vulnerable part of yourself to your patient does help the patient to build rapport with you. And just understand that in this time, they may be a little bit more emotional. I have a patient who is going through cancer treatment and she got upset recently just because the the person that she was greeted by was not very nice. So I think it's just like knowing that it doesn't matter what is our intention, but what matters is what they perceive. And when they are in that vulnerable space, everything is amplified. So even our the most the best intention that we have can be perceived as a negative thought. So just be aware of that. Know that don't take that personally. The person is just going through something that is very difficult in their life. And I guess don't judge them based on that. Because it's a, you know, it's a moment that I think if we all are in that shoe, it, we're we're gonna be the same hot mess. <laughs> so I think a little bit more compassion just and I think actually most occupational therapists, I mean, I'm not saying they're not compassionate. They're actually dealing with compassion fatigue, right? Because they're just doing that day in and day out. So yeah. I love but that. Don't take it personally. If no, someone flashed out on you. Mm, yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, let's head to our three rapid fire questions. So all right. Number one, how, in one sentence, how do you describe OT? Occupational therapy is a field that focuses on helping people to get back into their meaningful activities that brings, I guess, meaning to their life back. The, yeah. I love sentence. that. Yeah, I love it. Love it. What's one healthy lifestyle habit that listeners can implement today? Breath work. Awesome. Number three, if you could only offer one piece of advice to OTs, what would it be? I think you've already given us a lot of, <laughs> a lot of tips and tricks. I think don't get boxed into the, your current practice area or current workplace because with the field that we're in, there is so much more we can offer, but we have to, I think sometimes we, we just don't believe that we can create the space for ourselves. So I'm um, in that journey of believing that I can create space for myself in this world. So I just wanted, want you guys to join me in that. Mm, the possibilities are endless, honestly. They really are. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amelia. How can everyone learn more about you, follow your journey, and what sort of, what social media accounts can they follow you on? Um, I'm currently mostly on Instagram. So at the underscore lymph underscore therapist. I used to have a website, but I shut it down because I need to rebuild it. So that's my plan after I quit my job. Actually, I have done, I post put a lot of things on hold just because I knew that I need to focus all of my energy on wrapping up my work and then 
training the next person who's taking over my positions and making sure that everything got passed on smoothly. So stay tuned on the website, but it's coming. But yeah, what, so far. Will it be the same address? What will it be? Yeah, it's going to be, I have the address, thelymphtherapist.com. Awesome. Cool. But still under work. So yeah. Yeah, too easy. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amelia. I really appreciate you sharing the vulnerable parts of your journey and for helping us to see our clients through a different lens. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. That's it, guys. I hope this episode resonated with you. But more importantly, I hope it inspires you to take action. If you hang out over on Instagram, come over and connect. You'll find me at Rhiannon Chris. And we'd absolutely love your radiant energy in our Facebook group family. You can find us simply by searching the OT Lifestyle Movement in Facebook. If you did love this episode, I would be super grateful if you shared it within your own OT team, or you can take a screenshot right now and share it on Instagram or Facebook so we can connect with more amazing open-minded OTs. The more we share the OT lifestyle movement, the more we can create a ripple effect. And if you do love the podcast, please give us a five-star review. This means that we can be found more easily. So that's it, guys. Go out, create the epic change you seek in the world, one occupation at a time.